This is LEC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Father, your word is powerful today. And what we're about to do is the work of the Holy Spirit through a human experience. So Father, I pray today that you will take the words that are spoken and they will be your words. That the anointing of your presence will be on everything that is said going forward now. And that your will is accomplished. Somebody in this room today, somebody watching me right now on the broadcast, someone in a podcast in days to come, they need what's about to be said. So Father, help me to do my best and give this audience here and virtually an ability to focus and concentrate in order that they may hear everything that God is saying to them today. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things, and everybody says, Amen. We've been talking all month about what it means to experience God. We spent January talking about how to pray, and then we spent February talking about how to experience God, how how to go to that next level and experience God in a fresh way. We talked in week one about the fact that we experience God in His purpose and His presence. That there are moments when we are driving our car, making beds, doing our dishes, doing schoolwork, and we we encounter the presence of God and we experience Him in a powerful way. We talked in the second week about the fact that we experience God in our ability to hear Him. That we must train ourselves to be able to hear the voice of God. That God is always trying to talk to us. And we have to learn how to listen for the voice of God. That sometimes God is speaking to us, it's just that we're not paying attention to what the Lord is saying. And then last week we talked about the fact that we experience the Lord in our commitment to be a follower of the Lord, that we follow Him. And we we issued the challenge, and we'll speak to this in a greater detail in, in weeks to come. But there is more to following Jesus than just believing that He is. That you must make a personal commitment. You must be all in in order to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have to do more than say a prayer. You have to do more than just go to church. You have to be willing to give your life, to lay down your life. Last week we talked about the division that comes from those who are following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus. And the the horror of the judgment is that Jesus said, Jesus said people will stand in the judgment and say to him, I did a lot of good things in your name. And Jesus will say, I don't know you. You are not a follower. You may have done things in my name. You may have announced yourself as a Christian, but you never were. You never were a follower because you never went to that level, that experiential level where you are truly following the Lord, doing the work of God, doing the will of God. And so it leads me this morning to a very important question. And it's this question. If I'm all in with Jesus now, if in fact I have made that decision that I am all in with Jesus, then what in fact is God's plan for my life and what am I supposed to do in the world as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, what is God trying to do in this world through me. I've said this for many years. I don't understand why God doesn't just take us to heaven the moment he saves us. Wouldn't that make sense? 
I mean, you say, those of you that want to follow Jesus, come to the altar. You come down to the altar. You make a confession of faith. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ and wham, straight to glory. I mean, it would change altar services everywhere. Because it would be like, if you want to follow Jesus, bring your purse because you're not going back. But he doesn't. He saves you. And he sends you right back out into the sinful world from which you came. You go back to the same house that you grew up in, the same place where you live. You go back to the same people that you know on your job, in your school, in your neighborhood. So what is God trying to do? What is he hoping to accomplish with this newly committed life that you have given him, this decision that you have made that I'm going to serve God with my life, I'm going to be an all-in follower of Jesus, so God, what do you want me to do? One day I was about to speak to, uh, to a group of ministerial candidates. I was... I was preparing to speak to them about the future and the things that God was going to do for them. And I was searching for a passage that would speak to that moment. And that day, I still remember it, in West Monroe, Louisiana, I opened up my Bible and I'm reading Paul's letter to 1 Timothy. The first letter he wrote to Timothy in chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen for you. This is why you're alive today. This is the reason that God had kept you alive. It's why you didn't die in that car wreck. It's why the drugs that you took in your youthful days did not destroy you. It's why you survived, Donna, those awful experiences you talked about. Burying all those people because God has a purpose for you to be alive in the world today. There is a God ordered divine design that God has for your life right now and that's why you're breathing I've said it and I know everybody doesn't agree with it and I'm good with that I'm good with this that if you hear that pastor was killed in a car wreck this afternoon word comes to you that pastor has passed away from a car wreck you're going to know that God was done with me you're going to know that my time is finished because I believe that we live by the sovereignty of God as long as God chooses to allow us to live because there's something God wants us to do. And I found it, I think I did, here in 1 Timothy. Look at the screen. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do His work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, in other words, my stubbornness, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me. Here it is. So that Christ Jesus could use me. As a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners, then others would realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. What does it mean? It means that you're alive, I'm alive, we exist so that God can speak through our lives to people who are yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is a literal flesh and blood demonstration of what it looks like when somebody is completely and totally devoted to Jesus. Now you may not realize this, 
But there are people out there that are trying to decide about Jesus. And they wonder, if I were to give my life to Jesus, what would that be like? If I were to make a commitment to Christ, what would that be like? How would my life be different? I believe, and I think this scripture backs it up, <clears throat> that what God's doing in those moments is He's saying to that person, by the Holy Spirit, it would look just like your friend Paul Carlo. It would look just like your mother. It would look just like the guy you work with. Because he's a devoted follower of Jesus. And if you were to become a devoted follower of Jesus, it would look just like that. Your life is a physical demonstration of what happens to somebody who is completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the weight of that is very simple, my brothers and sisters. There's a heavy weight that falls with that because what we're saying is is that you are the example that God is using to tell the world about faith. It's kind of like the woman that's at a, a red light. She's waiting for the red light to turn green. She's the second of three cars. She's waiting for the light to turn and when the light does not turn... When light turns green and the car in front of her doesn't move fast enough, you've been in those, right? The person behind you thinks that it's their job, their mission in life to blow their horn. And she starts blowing her horn and she starts making all kinds of gestures and screaming and hollering. Probably the car in front of them was on their phone texting. And she begins to make this third big ruckus. Well, the third car in line is a police officer. He sees all of this, turns his light on with his microphone. He says, ma'am, get out of the car. Please get out of the car. She so gets out of the car screaming, what did I do? What did I do? What, what did I do wrong? He said, well, I just happened to notice that when the light turned green, you went crazy, ballistic, screaming and hollering and carrying on. And on the back of your car was a sticker that said, in case of the rapture, this car will be unoccupied. And so I must assume that you've stolen this car. It's like the teller in the bank who, uh, excuse me, it's like the, the, the waiters in restaurant. I used to know a young lady that was a waitress and she used to tell me, I hate working on Sundays because the rudest people are the church folk. And that's the example that God is trying to use to tell the unbeliever, you really ought to get, become a Christian. You really should choose Christ. Shelly taught me a phrase when I first started dating her. Of course, she didn't call it dating. We called it, she called it friending, whatever that is. I'm not sure what that is. All I know is I was paying for the food and picking her up at the front door. Where I come from, we call that a date. But in order to keep her options open, she told her friend she was friending. But she had a phrase that she used a lot of times and she would say this. She would remind me of this. She would say, you're the only Jesus some people meet today. So here's the question. What does it actually mean to be the living example of what Jesus is trying to do in the world? When we talk about experiencing God, it's not so much... This morning that I want, you to under, I want you to understand this principle that it's not just what God's doing for you. It's what God is trying to do through you. That God has blessed you in order that you can be a blessing. He has touched you so that you can touch somebody else. I, I said to, to someone here in the church just a few days ago who was uh, talking about their dilemma. And I said, you know, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, we are comforted in order that we may comfort others with the same comfort that we were comforted with. 
And it simply means that God has touched you so you touch somebody else. He's encouraged you so you would encourage somebody else. He's done something in your life so that you will bless and encourage and bring faith and hope to somebody else. You are empowered to be that example. What does it look like to become a living example of God's grace and mercy? Or maybe another way to say this, as I said before, is that what is God trying to do in this world through your life and mine? I want to I say this to you at this point because I want you to get this before I give you what I think God's trying to do. And that is that the world where you are living this morning is becoming a tough place to be identified with Jesus Christ. As we go, it is becoming more clear to me than ever this divide between those who follow Jesus and those who don't. I try to read a broad spectrum of perspective. I subscribe to the New York Times. I watch Fox News. I, I look at... Uh, both the, the scholarly and the secular readers. I read a variety of books. I try to fill my head with, with all the, the things in culture that I can to help me understand the world that I'm living in. And I'm more convinced than ever that it is becoming more dangerous than it's ever been to say, I follow Jesus. Because the world has become so hostile to faith, more so than ever before. And so you had better think about it before you identify with Jesus. Because there are those in this world who will cancel you if you follow Jesus. There are people that have quit following me on social media because they don't like the way that I feel about things. And we've moved in this culture from a society which says, I just want the right to make my own choices to a society that says, if you don't like what I'm doing, I hate you. And it's no longer about rights. It's about you accepting what I say. And we should not be surprised. From the very passage that Donna read, Jesus said these things. In a companion passage... In Mark 13, Jesus says this, And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. They will hate you because you follow Jesus. John 15, 17-19 says, This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Now here's the logic. He said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer a part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world so the world hates you. I read a day or two ago about a police officer in the state of Georgia who lost his job because he liked a tweet about the biblical view of marriage. And his supervisor, in releasing him from his job, said, the concern we have is that your religious views may create a bias that prevents you from carrying out your duties as a police officer. This is the world where Jesus is sending you this morning. Jesus told the disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I'm sending to a, you to a world that will hate you. Some of you, he said, will be dragged into court. Others of you will be killed and destroyed in my name because you love me. That's the world that Jesus is sending you to today. It's the world where you're going to go to work tomorrow. It's the place where you're going to go to school tomorrow. It's the world where God is sending you. To be the example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Let me just say this. I don't know if this is anointed or not. Maybe this is just Bill. 
He doesn't want you to go be an idiot. He doesn't need you to be stupid in your following of Jesus. He wants you to be a representative of Jesus. And that means that you represent Jesus Christ wherever you go in every relationship, every conversation, everything that you are doing. So what does that mean? Well, from the passage, I want to offer you two things and we'll be done. Number one, the Holy Spirit has come enabling us to be his representatives. And I think that number one, that means he wants us to shine the light into the darkness. How does darkness exist? It exists because there is an absence of light. The moment that light is introduced to the darkness, the darkness goes. You may remember a number of months ago, Pastor Dustin preaching about this and he had us all turn our phone flashlights on. We killed all the lights in the building. And one by one, as those lights began to light up, it changed the darkness to a lighted space. This world is dark. Why is this world dark? Because there's not enough light. And God wants you and I to be those who become lights in the dark world. God saved you. And he is empowering you to be the light to the world where you live. A very familiar passage from Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its salty taste it cannot be made salty again. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and walked on. You are the light that gives light to the world. The implication, you are a city that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. People don't hide a light under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand. So the light shines for all the people in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they see the good things that you do. And praise your Father. In heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that wherever you go, your life is a light to a darkened place. Some of you grew up in homes where Jesus was not glorified. In fact, a little boy who is here in our preschool said to me one day when I was trying to correct his language. And we were talking about the words he was using. He said to me, this is the language my daddy tells my mother. This is, this is the world in which some of you are going back home today. Where Jesus is not glorified. One of the families here in the church, the husband said to me, I grew up in a world where we never mentioned the name of God. And if you grew up in that environment, then you're going back to a dark place. You're going to a place where it's dark and Jesus needs you. He's called you, empowered you to be the light in that darkness. What does that feel like? What does it look like? It means that every day of your life, you light up the world where you are. You become a light in a dark place. Notice what Jesus said here. He said if you live that kind of life and you do the kind of things that are honorable, that demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ, then people will be thanking God that they know you. That's the promise that God gives. That if you let your light shine in a world that is dark, that people will appreciate that. They may not tell you. But they will thank God that you are in their life. I, I, I think sometimes that we 
allow the culture of this world, the, the mindset of this world to overshadow what we ultimately must believe about Jesus, that we have been called out from the world. We are not part of this world even though we live in this world. And God has called us to be lights so that people who don't know Jesus can find their way to Him through the lives and the relationships that we have. It's like a time I was, when I was living in another place. I was a guest speaker at a church and that church had one of those experiences where they opened up the floor for anyone that had a prayer request. And a lady raised her hand and said, uh, you know, and I don't remember the name now, but I'm going to use the name Bob and Barbara. Bob and Barbara, you know, have built a new house and they're trying to sell their old house and they haven't been able to sell it. So let's pray that God will help Bob and Barbara sell their house. So we start praying and, I, and I'm assuming that's what we're supposed to do, that we're all supposed to pray for Barbara and Bob that their house will sell. And as I am praying, the thought occurred to me. What if the reason the house didn't sell is because God doesn't want them leaving that neighborhood? You see, we, we have to get out of our head that our life belongs to us. Our life is no longer about us. It's no longer about who we are or what we want. It's about what God is trying to do through us. When we gave our heart to the Lord, we chose Jesus. And as we said last week, we gave up our plans and we took on the plans of God. And His plan is for you to be a light in the places where He planted you. And it may not be the place that you want. It may not be the job that you want. It may not be the neighborhood you want. But it's the place where God has planted you. And what God wants you to do is shine your light in that space. Allow Jesus to radiate from your life. The love of Jesus to radiate in a way that causes the unbeliever to say, I want to be just like her. I want to be just like him. Peter said they will come to you and they will ask you for a reason of the hope that is inside of you. How can you hold your head up when you've had so much trouble? How can you have a smile on your face in the midst of that difficulty? Because there is something on the inside of you. Let me tell you about him. My friend Reggie Dabbs, an Assembly of God evangelist who travels and speaks in schools all over America, was on a, a Continental Airline flight from Anchorage to Houston when 9-11 took place. And as you remember, the FAA grounded all the planes and they dropped his plane in El Paso, Texas. And they put these people on a bus and they were busing them from El Paso to Houston. And Reggie's sitting in the back of the bus with a bunch of continental stewardesses and pilots and other staff individuals and they're listening to the reports. And somebody said, oh, a lady beside him said, oh my God, this must be the end of the world that we heard about. And Reggie said, no, it's not. He said, it's not the end of the world. And she said, well, how do you know? Are you, are you, a, are you a preacher? He said, I am. And she yells up to the front of the bus, says, hey, we've got a preacher back here in the back. The bus driver said, come on up here. And he gets up the front. They handed the microphone to Reggie. And from El Paso to Houston, he told them the story of Jesus. He was in a place where his light could shine. And people gave their heart to God that day. Why? Because Reggie was able to shine the love of Jesus in a dark place. You say, well, pastor, I'm not an evangelist. I can't speak like you. I don't have that. I'm not like Dustin Vorce. I don't have that. No, no, God's not asking you to do that. Wherever you go, whatever you do, remember the man that, that was demon-possessed and Jesus delivered him and he said to Jesus as he was leaving, oh, let me go with you. I want to travel with you. And Jesus said, no. 
No, what you can do for me, if you will, is go back to where you came from. Go back to the people that know you and tell them what I have done to you. That's what he wants you to do. Just tell the story of what God has done in your life. Just let people know what Jesus means to you. Here's the second thing. Not only must you shine the light, but I think that God has called us to love all people. Let me start with what you're all thinking right now. There are people that are hard to love. Please don't point to anyone in the building. But Jesus said something very simple and very interesting about this connection that we have with the world in which we live. He says this in John 13. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. We, we, could, we could spend a lot of time how, how Jesus loved us, and so we should love in that same way, but that's not the point I want you to see. Look at the next line. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciple when you love each other. In this hostile world, in this difficult world, what God is asking us to do as Christians is to love each other. Turn to somebody close by if you feel comfortable, look them in the eye and say, I love you, man. Love you, girl. And what I hope, I hope is that you meant it. If not, there'll be an altar call here in a moment. Jesus said, the world's going to be looking for the identifier of who my disciples are. Did you notice that he did not say, go to church so people will know you're a disciple? He didn't say, pay your tithes so people will know you love me. He said, the way that people will know out there in the world that you are a disciple of Jesus is that you will love one another. Now you'll have to forgive me. I don't understand why that is so hard for us. Because here's the thing about love that I need you to hear me say this morning is that love is a choice. Not a feeling, it's a choice. God decided that he would love you. Through Moses, he told him, he said, I don't, I'm not loving you because you're the least or the smallest or because I felt mercy or compassion over you. No, I loved you because I chose to love you. For God so loved the world. Love is a choice. And we have to choose to love each other. Now, doesn't mean we have to like each other, but we have to love each other. And what, what, what the world needs to know about us is that our faith is genuine and it is sincere. It's not put on. I was, I was following a thread on Twitter this week about a church in another place, I won't call any names because you're going to know, you probably would know, but they're having a war in this church over control, over who gets to make the decisions, and they're airing all their dirty laundry on social media, and guys like me are reading it, and other people, and sinners are reading it, and the devil's going, that's what Christians are like right there. That's what Christian people are like. They're people that will not come to church. People use this phrase a lot, church hurt. But they won't come to church because of something that they saw or something that they experienced in days gone by in church. People who named the name of God, who, who were 
identified as Christians and yet their life did not measure up in a way that caused people to lose faith and hope in Jesus Christ. We're going to answer for that. We're going to answer for that. If my actions, if your actions have ever driven anybody away who will not be open to the gospel, we're going to answer for that. People who end up going into eternity lost because we misbehave, we'll answer for that. You know, I think, uh, I, I think sometimes we say all the time that we're not perfect and we are not perfect people. But we do have a responsibility to live our life in a way that does not bring a reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. You may remember some time ago, I wasn't talking about anybody specifically, but I was making the statement that if, if you go out and you talk about the church in a negative way, and you say ugly things about, you know, somebody singing or somebody preaching or somebody teaching or whatever, you make it difficult for that person or any other person to be able to talk to people about Jesus. Because when we start talking about Jesus, the first thing that comes into their head is what they heard about the church. And so it becomes incumbent on us if we're going to be followers of Jesus that we love each other with a genuine and true love. And that we extend mercy and grace to each other without judgment. That we refuse to allow our tongue, our lips, to be used to criticize one another. That we recognize that we are all brothers and sisters, all following, chasing, pursuing Jesus as hard as we can, as best we know how. And if anything's going to come out of my lips, let it be encouragement to you. Let it be words of life. And if you find that you are struggling to love people, then maybe you should ask God why it's so hard for me to love people. There's something there. God wants us to let our light shine. He wants us to love people. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to wrap this up if Pastor Jerome will get ready. Just hold the singers for a moment. Just come and prepare to play. Luke 6, verse 27. But to, who, to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's so countercultural, isn't it? Somebody in my family said to me not too long ago, do you realize there are people out there who hate you? I'm like, no way. I'm so lovable. My dad was my dad. He said, oh, there are people who hate you. There are people that would do whatever they could to hurt you if they could. You've got to be smart about it. Don't assume that everybody loves you. But Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. Yeah, that one's a good one. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. In my notes here, I wrote in red, 
let it go. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that, Jesus asked. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. <coughs> if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners lend money to other sinners for a full return of their investment. And again, he says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward in heaven will be great. And you will truly, get this, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High God. When you love your enemies and you do good to them, you are acting like the children of the Most High God. So let me wrap this up by telling you this. The world needs followers of Jesus. The world needs followers of Jesus Christ more than ever before. It's why I encourage some of you to run for office. We have a man in our church now who is serving on the local school board. I encouraged him to do that. We need followers of Jesus in every place in the marketplace. I encourage Christian leaders to be business and entrepreneurs in our city. We need Christian teachers. Christian lawyers, Christian firemen, Christian police officers. We need followers of Jesus in every place. Why? Because the world is a dark place. I wasn't picking on Pastor Dustin when I asked this question the other night. He and I were together. We were talking about this and I, I said to Dustin, what is going to be the excuse that we offer in the judgment for people who knew us and we never told them about Jesus? I mean, I don't know how the judgment's going to work, Paul. But can you imagine Jesus sitting on the throne? And people lining up and coming up here and him saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Maybe. Saints of God standing here on one side. Somebody comes in that line and stops and says, why didn't you tell me? I lived on the same street as you. We worked at the same place. Our kids played on the same soccer team. Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? I'm going to hell because you didn't tell me. What kind of excuse would we make? You see, experiencing God is more than just coming to church. It's being the example of Jesus in the world that needs to know who Jesus is. It's why I pray this prayer so very often. Lord, lead me today to somebody who needs to know you. I want to give you three really quick things that I want you to do this week as a result of this message, because I want you to take this to heart. Number one, I want you to pray to be sensitive to what God is doing around you. On your job, at your house, in your neighborhood, wherever you may go. Polka, I know you work at the Aldi's in, in Mentor. And... Uh, I was in all these a couple days ago to buy some things. And I had to wait in line. It wasn't Polka's fault, but it was a long line. And I started praying for everybody that was standing there. I tried to engage a couple of them in, in the line and to find out their story. 
Because everywhere we go, we need a sensitivity about what God is doing. Is the Holy Spirit in all these in mentor? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Spirit of God is everywhere. And when you go, you carry His Spirit with you. Wherever you go, be sensitive to what God is doing around you. Number two, talk about Jesus this week. Make the point to bring His name up as often as you can in conversation. Oh, you're looking good today. Well, thanks be to Jesus. He put His joy in me. That's why I look so happy. You know what our default is? Let's be honest. Can I be honest about this? You know what our default right there? Instead of talking about Jesus, we always tell people, why don't you come to my church? I love for them to come to our church, but I would much rather you talk about Jesus. When was the last time you talked about Jesus to somebody who doesn't know him? We lack that experience, don't we? There's an uncomfortableness about it. But can I just encourage you today with this, that the world is still interested in Jesus. A lot of people are turned off to church. But I promise you, if you talk about Jesus, there will be interest. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to represent Jesus in everything you do this you get up and go to work in the morning, remember, you represent Jesus. You're going to school, you're representing Jesus. You're going to buy groceries, you're going to pay your bills, you're going wherever you're going, you're representing Jesus. I think you'd be pleased about that. And I think that he will use your life in a way that demonstrates to the world that you're not just a casual follower. You don't just show up on Sunday and do your duty, but you, in fact, seven days a week are fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Bow our heads for prayer. I thank you this morning, Lord. That you saved us from our sins. I'm thankful that you did not leave us in our sin, but that you redeemed us by your blood and you made us to belong to you. So help me this week. Help me to be a follower of Jesus in the way that I interact with people. Help me to be intentional in my conversations, to seize upon any opportunity that might present itself to tell somebody how much you mean to me. I pray now, Lord, for courage all over this room, for those that are watching online. I know for some, Lord, it's going to frighten them, but give them the courage. Remind them of what you told the disciples, that they should not be afraid, but that you would put the words in their mouth to say. Father, I just ask you to open up our eyes so that we can see what you are doing in these communities where we live, where we work, where we play. Make us aware how the Holy Spirit is at work and how we are positioned as followers of Jesus in a dark world. In Jesus' name every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give opportunity for anybody that's in the room today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want you to know that this is a church that cares about people who need Jesus. And we want to give opportunity. I would not want you to walk out and not be given an opportunity to choose Jesus. So my prayer right now for everyone in this room that does not know the Lord is that you will decide that you want to follow Jesus with your whole heart. We're going to pray a simple prayer. The words are just words unless you mean them. But if you mean them and you're sincere, God hears that. He will forgive you 
He will accept you. Everybody repeat this prayer after me. God, I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe Jesus will forgive me of my sins. I choose Jesus. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, and you have accepted Jesus, you have chosen Him to be your Lord and Savior, you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins, and you meant it when you said that, hold up your hand. Yes. Okay. Hold your hand up. Two. All right. Can we praise the Lord for two people today? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. I want you to meet somebody who's a friend of mine. She's ready to help you. Michelle Lewis, right over there where that sign says start here. Right underneath that sign, she'll meet you in just a moment. We've got some material we want you to have. And if you've chosen the Lord Jesus Christ, get that material on the screen. It doesn't say that on the screen. We have a different screen than we normally use for that. But anyway, if you text uh, the word SAVE to 440-557-2822, we'll start you on a seven-day digital journey that will help you take your first steps to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that you're here today. I encourage you to meet with Michelle as soon as it's over. And uh, Pastor Dustin is coming to conclude. Amen. It was good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over you really quick. Please do not forget about the announcements that I had this uh, at the start of service here about the Tetelestai sign-ups to helps as well as the senior event that's going to be taking place at 6 o'clock on Thursday evening. If you would, please stand as we close the service in prayer. We're going to pray that God will bless you, anoint you, and keep you until our next appointed time. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this service. Lord God, thank you so much for the message that Pastor preached, not only this morning, but all throughout this past month about how we can experience you. Lord, that's really what we want. We want to truly experience you, not so that we can keep that experience inside and keep it all to ourselves, but so that we can also point others in how to experience you as well. Thank you so much, Lord, for those who gave their hearts to you for the very first time this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would just seal this word in each and every one of our hearts with the Holy Spirit, Father. Allow us to leave differently than when we came. Lord, keep us safe as we leave this place until the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.